Exodus chapter 16, and I'll read from 1 through 16. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread in the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there, on the surface of the wilderness was a small, round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings, and we pray that you would be with us now, that you would open our ears to hear your word, and that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and lead us uh, towards living uh, for him and for righteousness' sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is the fifth in a series that is entitled In the Wilderness, and uh, Phil was giving me some pointers for uh, future uh, uh, discouraging verses that I might be able to apply in this text. They've been rather dark, I must admit. And the first one was concerning Moses and the 40-year intervals in his life that were all, in a sense, lived in the wilderness. The second is from Hebrews 3 and 4 about the lost generation, how nearly all of these people that were rescued from Egypt died in unbelief. The next one was about fear, about them being pinned against the Red Sea and being fearful of the Egyptians' approach. The next one was about thirst. They're out in the middle of nowhere and they have nothing to drink. And today we have hunger. And so many of us who have been to school know that uh, 
these things that we seek in life, such as uh, freedom and security and peace and safety, uh, satisfying our thirst, satisfying our hunger, these rank pretty high up there on Maslow's hierarchy or whatever that's called. And so we know that these are important to us. We don't need some psychologist study to tell us that. Uh, we have the word of God and we have our own bodies that are telling us these are important to us. So last time when we talked about thirst, we saw that God wanted these people thirsty. It was his actions and his plan to bring them out into the middle of a wilderness where there was no water until they thirsted and their thirst drove them to engage in rebellion against Moses and Aaron, at least complaining. And we have the same thing here now with hunger. But let me read to you what Paul said to Timothy. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. So see, even Paul acknowledges that it is very hard to be content when we're cold and when we're hungry and when we're thirsty. And so God brought this about because he wanted it to happen, and yet he is the one that will also resolve it. Now, what was Paul warning about in that text? He was warning about greed and envy. He was saying, be satisfied with the simple pleasures and necessities of life, and then you have all this to gain in future joy. But greed and envy, its evil twin, are after us. They are after us. And so we must not succumb to them. Now, Paul admitted it's hard to be content, and yet what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about this? And we know that Paul said his words to Timothy long after. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why does God want us to go without water and food at times, as he did these Jews? If you've ever voluntarily fasted, I wonder if you've done it well or if you've done it poorly. I know sometimes I've done it and I've done it poorly. Because while I'm fasting, all I can think about is food. All I can look forward to is the time at which my planned fast is going to end such that I can break this fast and enjoy food. Is that what we're supposed to be thinking about when we're fasting? Absolutely not. There was a preacher, I forget who it was now, but it was a famous American preacher, maybe English preacher, that toured the countryside, and he always kept a little pebble in his shoe. You remember that story? And that pebble would roll around, and at points, suddenly, it would strike him. And that pain, he liked, and he kept that pebble for that reason, because when he experienced that pain, it was a reminder that he was to pray. So when we are fasting... Those physical hunger pangs that we feel, they are reminders that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So every time we feel hunger pangs when we're fasting, we should pray. And yet, I must admit that I've not always done that. Fasting is difficult. It wants to take the focus away from God and place it where you want it to be, as a person in need of food, unsatisfied that hunger. These Jews might 
have our compassion because they were not voluntarily fasting. They were involuntarily fasting. And yet, it led them to bitterness because they were not focused on God. They were not focused on anything positive. They were only focused on their stomachs and satisfying their needs. And they misdirected that anger. They complained to Moses and Aaron as if they're at fault for this. And Moses and Aaron tell them, we are not at fault for this. This is God's doing. This is not our doing. So God wanted them thirsty the, day, the chapter before, and he wants them hungry now. And then I think this is one of the most beautiful uh, happenings of all Scripture. They are provided manna from heaven, bread from heaven. Elsewhere it says that they were given the food of angels. So for 40 years, this thankless generation ate every day miraculously. Miraculously. So what does that tell us today? What is the message to us? What was the message to them that they did not embrace? It's the same for them as it is for us. What is the message? Do you know what the manna appearing in the morning was to that thankless and unbelieving generation? Have you ever seen an old movie where the mom comes out of a cabin and she starts banging that triangle? Come and get it, come and get it, come and get it. All it was was food. It was not miraculous. They couldn't care less how the manna was appearing there. They just wanted to satisfy their hunger. And so they didn't get the message. They didn't understand the miracle. What is it that they were supposed to have perceived from this? And what is it that we are supposed to perceive from this? Cast all of your cares upon me, for I care for you. That's what God tells us. So even the essential needs that we have, such as thirst and hunger, were to cast upon the Lord. Those are difficult to cast upon him. And yet that's why I believe he commands us to fast, so that we can practice that, discipline ourselves to that, to have our bodies be our slaves to, to our spirits and not vice versa. God must be apprehended by faith. I had a friend recently respond to a post I'd made. He's an acquaintance, really, uh, very liberal, and he rebuked me for having opposed the reason of science with religion. He said, religion and science are rational. They can live together without you casting rocks in between them. And what do we do about this maniverse then? about 40 years of miraculous food appearing in the dew. I'm sure he would have a rational scientific explanation for that, which I would not agree with. Religion challenges our view of our world. It informs and directs and controls, circumscribes our view of our world, not vice versa. And that's where my friend has it wrong. Yesterday, uh, Josiah Jost uh, commented on the beauty of creation, and he commented on how these illustrations of the beauty of our creation ought to drive us to recognition 
and thankfulness of the Creator that is behind these things. But is that where reason leads these people that I'm referring to, these unbelieving scientists that are in awe of nature but reject nature's God? So when we come to the Lord, we don't come for a more rational understanding of the miracles of Scripture. We come for faith, to believe them, and to refute the doubters of our age. And so let's go to the Lord's table now, wanting to fill up our spirits on the food that God's provided through his word. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the wonders of your word and for the miracles of the past. And we pray, Lord, that our, our belief in you, our faith in you, would not be so small that we would be willing to trade it in for a rational understanding of our world. We believe in reason, Father. We embrace reason. And yet we embrace miracles as well. We thank you now for this that we have to enjoy. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ that made it all possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.